Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast and we have an amazing conversation for you today. You know, if you've listened to this podcast through any of our first season, you've probably heard me say, I have my dear friend here today. And I have so many great friends in the Northeast doing ministry. I think the world of them and love them. But today, when I say dear friend, my friend Chris Cassoni, he's actually one of my closest spiritual friends. He's someone who we connect weekly, if not daily, whether it's a phone call or a text message, we get together often and we really are able to share in ministry and life together. You know, as we have launched our first pilot of the Evergreen Way cohort, our first gathering a year ago, and had just hundreds of conversations with leaders over this last year, I have to say that there's a special resonance to this idea of spiritual friendship. And I think it's because leadership is often so lonely. And I just want to say this to you today. Leaders who last are leaders who are not alone. They foster and fight and forge friendships. I'm going to share in the podcast how I became such close friends with Chris. I want to invite you also to our Evergreen One Day Gathering, June 21st, Avon, Connecticut. Evergreen One Day Gathering, June 21st in Avon, Connecticut. This is an incredible day. If you are a younger leader, emerging leader, young at heart, someone who knows that they need to continue to develop the soul of their leadership, this is a day for you. You can come as a, a lay leader, as a ministry leader. We want you to gather with others from all around the Northeast and to be able to invest in the heart of leadership, spiritual formation, effective communication, kingdom leadership, and spiritual friendship. I mentioned this before, but this is an intent intentionally unconferency day. I'm inventing words now, but what do I mean by that? Well, we're going to form the day much more as a series of small master classes. These are presenters and, and trainers who are from our region who could easily keynote large conferences, but you're going to get access to these conversations in small rooms, in spaces that you can interact with our presenters and with one another. If you have a staff team or a leadership team, this would be a great day to come together. And you'll not just leave with a notebook full of ideas, but with rich ideas and conversation that I think will help you to be a healthy leader in the year to come. This would be a great investment. So go to convergenortheast.org, convergenortheast.org. You can click on events or you can find us on our social media at Instagram or Facebook. Look for Converge Northeast and you can find all the information about the evergreen one day. It's a very affordable day and we would love to see you there. Well, let's jump into my conversation with my dear friend, Chris Cassoni. I am here today and want to welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, my friend, Chris Cassoni. Chris has been a dear friend personally in my life. He's someone who's on the favorites of my phone. Chris, thanks so much for jumping on today. Hey, great great to be here. Anything for a friend, brother. So Chris, uh, give the listeners a little bit of a snapshot of what ministry and family life looks like today. Yeah, uh, I'm a pastor of a, a church in Derry, New Hampshire. Um, been there for about 11 or going on 11 years now and, uh, got a, a wonderful family. Uh, my wife and I have been, uh, married since 2010 
and we've got uh, three kids. We got a um, preteen son as our oldest, and uh, twin daughters who are in third grade. So our house is uh, full of lots of uh, adventure and fun and tears and drama and all of the wonderful things uh, that make up life. That's awesome. Uh, you have an incredible family, a great church that you get to be a part of leading. And uh, how did how did you end up where you are, though? Give me like one or two moments in your journey of faith that kind of helped you lead you into the pastorate and into the context that you're in today. Sure. Yeah, I, I'd also uh, I had always wanted to um, be involved in church in some capacity as a as a layperson. Had spent a lot of time as a a teenager being involved um, in, a, in a few different churches, one that I had grown up in in Chester and, uh, and some others that I had been associated with, with uh, the Christian school that I attended. Felt like God was calling me to be a music teacher. Went to uh, a Christian um, university and God really kind of gear shifted me into uh, pastoral ministry pretty quickly. Um, so from there on out, I, I, I dived in after my freshman year of college into a, um, an internship for the summer at a, a small little church in German, Pennsylvania. Um, had a, probably one of the roughest summers of my life <laughs> um, working for this, this little church where uh, I thought I knew a lot, learned that I knew nothing. Uh, so that was uh, it was a good good lesson of uh, what to expect, but I didn't realize that <laughs> at the time. Uh, and then uh, served in a, in a couple other different church contexts. Uh, worked as a um, a rescue mission chaplain for a season, and then uh, one of my our good friends Dan um, actually reached out to me um, when we were making a move up to New England, um, and had asked if I would come up and help be a pastor and. Uh, in an, on an interim basis, just to kind of help their church through a tough season. And, and so then that um, led to Calvary being able to kind of scope me out and uh, ended up uh, there in 2012. So getting to New Hampshire is a neat story, though. Uh, we were um, living in Dixon City, Pennsylvania. I had been a part of a church plant that we loved dearly for a while. Uh, that's where I had met one of my best friends, Dan Lyle. We worked together there. Um you know, worship leading and, and being a part of student ministries. And I remember just praying with my wife, we're both from New England, feeling like we have a heart for what God is, you know, wants to do up here, uh, the revival that he has ready for our region. And um, came home from working at the rescue mission late at night, and we had just had our, our, our first child, so Miles was just a, a few months old. And I said, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling us back up to New England. And she was like, oh, did you get a job offer? It's like, no, no. She's like, oh, did somebody reach out to you about you know some ministry opportunities that you want to do? No, I'm just feeling like we should start praying about this. She said, all right, sure, yeah, let's pray about this. And so I went to work, came home late the next night again after uh, teaching and, and preaching in the evening at our, our rescue mission. And our living room was filled with packed boxes. So she, I was like, oh, all right, I guess the Lord gave her direction. And so uh, we started looking for just any job to kind of get us back to New Hampshire. Um, my parents were gracious enough to let us live in their basement for seven months. Uh, but the day after we moved up to New Hampshire, I got a call from Dan, uh, just, just brokenhearted about a situation they were going through up in, in his church and asked, would you come help? And the only reason that we were able to be there and able to help was because we acted in obedience on faith. And, and I attribute a lot of that to my wife. And um, mm -hmm. so there's God for her. 
Yeah, being aligned in mission like that, it's amazing how God can show up in unexpected ways. I'm I'm thankful that He did, and uh, it's it's great to be able to see the path you've been on. You've been at, at Calvary now in various capacities. We actually have parts of our story that track together. You've done worship ministry, you've yeah. done youth ministry. Um, now you're uh, an associate role, uh, but you are in a a process now after a number of years, an intentional process at your church uh, to become the lead pastor, and you're. Pretty close. Remind me of the actual like you're in you're in the eighth inning, ninth inning, somewhere there, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah. Pen, pending a, a congregational vote of affirmation, um, okay. uh, which we anticipate that going well. Uh, July second, I'll be installed as the the next senior pastor at Calvary, and so it's kind of been a uh, you know eleven years in the making, uh, and I'm just kind of you know thankful to have learned through the process. I think. Um, I feel really privileged to have the um, historical capital uh, there to be able to then step into this job, uh, already having chips of trust with the people that I'm leaving, uh, leading and teaching. And um, and we've been going through really about a five-year process uh, that our, our leadership team had you know kind of mapped out. And, um, and we learned a lot on, along the way and, and made alterations along the way, um, but we We've been trying to do this baton passing for uh, a few years intentionally and, and hiring to kind of support the future state. We went through a pretty significant um, constitutional change for our church. And so we, it's been neat to see how God has walked through all of that. Um, so really, really yeah. blessed. It's been uh, encouraging to see from the outside. And again, like you noted, there's been times when you've had to adjust a plan and you've had, you know, things I'm sure didn't always go as expected, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a, there's a lot that we can unpack in succession that I wish churches, and maybe that's a different podcast as well, but like even just the way you guys have shared the pulpit historically and and have a multi-voice model mm-hmm. uh, in your church is awesome. But I want to talk to you just kind of more on the personal side of your leadership. Um, you know, it's an interesting process and posture to be in when you are moving towards something and, you know, things seem to be moving that direction, but you are in this transition of like, you don't have full authority. Uh, you also have uh, um, to, you know, still be in a posture of being under someone else's leadership. And there's just a lot of dynamics to that. And so what has God kind of formed in your heart and kind of taught you about leadership through this process? There's a huge difference between leading from a position of authority and leading out of influence. And I think that I always want to be a leader who leads out of influence. Um, and I, you know, I've watched enough iterations of, of guys uh, in ministry, some on our staff, in our staff, and, and navigating through, hey, this is my, my authority, this is my job, I get to make these decisions and you have to follow because I have the authority uh, to do so. Um, that can be really tough <laughs> because sometimes you, you come in and you start trying to move in, in a certain direction because uh, that's your job. Um, and people aren't quite ready to follow. You know, we, we, a lot of times leadership uh, uh, gurus, they talk about, you know, early adapters, innovators, late adapters, and those like, I'm never changing. And then church people. people are over and, here, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, leading from a place um, where people um, 
uh, trust you. They, they've been able to observe uh, your character and uh, to see that they share your convictions. Mm. And I think overall, they, they know that you love them. Um, and have it, have walked through hard things with them uh, as a church and haven't left, uh, that means a lot to people. And so be able to lead from a place of influence, um, moving now into a place of authority, uh, for me, it, it doesn't feel um, nerve-wracking because I've already been leading this group. And so for me, um, some of my routines or strategies, they're not going to change because um, my heart for our people has already has already been established, and so um, I think anytime you you move into a transition, you know guys come in and and um, you know change in church is slow, and I think it should be in some ways um, where you get to understand the needs of your people and uh, and and then be able to to meet those needs to to their context as opposed to. You know, here's the vision that I want to build for my kingdom or for, for my legacy or for, you know, what I have for a vision. Um, I think the Lord really wants us to love our people in an understanding way. Um, I, that impetus that he gives um, husbands to love their wives in an understanding way, I, I think that's the same kind of responsibility that pastors have for their church. Like, our responsibility is to understand them, and, and that sometimes means that we— um, we understand that they're going to sin against us, and we can't hold that against them as we lead. And that, that's a hard thing to do. Um, but having gone through some of those seasons, uh, even at Calvary, um, has allowed me to be able to uh, lead from a place that says, hey, um, I understand what, what, what they need, and, and that I can try to best help them and, and best love and lead them. And uh, I don't, I'm not coming in as this fresh new guy who's going to just change everything that they've been doing for the last 25 years. Uh, I've been really thankful that in our transition process, um, I got to have a voice in shaping uh, the direction of what we've been doing. And um, and it's been a, a wonderful collaborative process for our elders to be able to kind of talk through. Uh, you know, we went through writing our mission statement, working through our constitution, kind of setting the trajectory for, hey, what do we feel like God is wanting us as a church to do over the next five to ten years? And so um, knowing that I was going to be uh, the most likely leader in that was was a wonderful kind of gift from the Lord to be able to have have some contributions to that as we built our strategic process. You know the um, the standout reality that that I appreciate about you is the I mean you're an incredible leader, a great communicator, but the shepherd heart um, that is there and like yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact like I've never seen a sheep race, I've seen a horse race, I've seen a dog race, I've never seen sheep right. race, and so like um, there's yeah. something about change like uh, at the same time shepherds lead and guide and move and bring people yeah. forward mm-hmm. and onward, and so it's not about a lack of movement. It's really about going with mm. uh, incarnational leadership leading from, you can't influence Amen. people that you're yeah. not with, you know, like you, you can only lead from authority, mm. you know, high tower leadership's all authority, but leading like Jesus is going to be like influence. And, you know, I always think of the example of Jesus laid aside all yeah. of his rights to be, um, you know, in, in his leadership yeah. uh, here on this earth. So that's just so great. And um, so critical and important. So, I want to talk uh, some about about friendship and spiritual friendship is actually one of our pillars with the Evergreen Way, and it's been interesting as we uh, have piloted this 
project this year, um, you know, everybody that I talk to resonates with like, you know, they see what we're doing with all the ideas, but I think spiritual friendship has sort of been the one that has grabbed people the most. And I think it's a cultural thing that we live in a lonely culture. I think Mm. it's also that pastoral leadership is often lonely and you put those two things together and add in a global pandemic and we, we have an epidemic of loneliness and especially in leadership. And so Um, just on a um, autobiographical standpoint, that was an epiphany for me not too many years ago. And so um, I saw in you, I just want to affirm you and then our mutual friend, Dan Lyle, um, and who we're just going to speak highly of through this podcast. So uh, get used to yeah, it, listeners. That's right, man. Uh, <laughs> but I just saw a real um, a great model of spiritual friendship between the two of you. And as I was in, in some transition and evaluating that I didn't really have, I knew a lot of people, but I didn't have friends. Um, I just kind of, you know, butted in and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to be your friend. So like add me to your group chat, like, let's go. Um, and so that I, one, thank you. That's been in, so instrumental for me in, in leadership health, but I would, for you, what has helped, how has God shaped your perspective and your maturity as in being a good friend, which I think you are a great friend. So mm-hmm. how has God formed that in you? Um, I think it's been a, a very, honestly, a painful process because um, I'm, I'm grateful that you, you think I'm a great friend, but I can testify that um, there's many moments in my life where I haven't been a great friend. Um, and I've had great friends who have been kind enough to tell me that I'm not. Mm. <laughs> um, and and I, I think um, there was seasons of my life where um, I can look back and I can I can say one of the most glaring areas of opportunity for me was self-awareness. And um, I was so appreciative of, you know, those friends that scripture talks about, uh, that, that verse that I, I love, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, mm-hmm. profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I had um, men and, and sometimes women who were, who were, who loved me enough to, to wound me, um, for my own growth, uh, for, uh, that, um, kindness uh, in, in a sense to say, Hey, you may not be seeing this. Um, and so that's allowed me to, you know, try to, um, grow in the Lord in those areas, uh, to be aware of what kind of friend is, does God want me to be? And, um, that can be being available. That can be um, learning how to be a good listener. Uh, I think one of the ways that friendship um, has become essential in my life is particularly in marriage. Um, I think that's probably one of the most like missing components in a lot of marriages. We do all these things to try to have healthy marriages, but if there's not friendship with your spouse, you've got a long road ahead of you. Um, and it was transformative for Laura and I to kind of go through the pandemic and, you know, having all this time that was shifted and changed around and having to say like, Hey, are we friends to one another? Like, are we good just to like spend time and just listen without, um, our own agenda or, you know, feeling like we have to fix one another, but that we're just, we're just there. Like I'm, I'm there to support you. I'm there to love you. I'm there to try to understand you. And I think, uh, being able to experience some people who have been that in my own life um, has probably been one of the greatest gifts for me. And then 
knowing that that's probably where I've experienced God's grace and love the most is actually in friendship. Um, uh, that's just how I'm wired. I'm, you know, like the, the feeler, I'm the, you know, the empath. And so, um, for me, that's how I connect with scripture too. Um, and it creates for me, I think an opportunity for us to be able to, um, learn how to be friends to one another, how to love one another in the way that Jesus was kind, you know, he was kind to, to people he interacted with, um, you know, calling his disciples and saying, you know, you know, some of you call me Lord, but now you get to call me friend. Like I've welcomed you into this like holy fellowship where there's a covenant, like I'm going to understand you and you're going to understand me. And we're going to, we're going to intentionally make space for you know one another in our lives. I think that's been um, monumental. And so uh, it's hard because I think there's people who have lots of quote unquote friends, but they're really just acquaintances. And I think that's, um, growing in our society now with this, you know, digital revolution that we have, where we have a lot of artificial friendship. I think um, people who are like, oh yeah, they're my friend. Like I've known them, I've had a conversation with them, or I, you know, I've interacted with this person in some conference. But um, have they wept with you? Have they, you know, do you call them in the middle of the night when you're like having a crisis going on, or um, are you willing to? like confess sin to them and let them know like, Hey, this is where I'm weak right now and I need help. And, um, you and Dan have been those type of friends that I love that I can, I can call and just process what I'm experiencing in the moment. And there's no like judgment. There's no, um, condemnation. There's simply like, Hey, let me help understand. How are you feeling? What's going on? Um, what do, you, what do you feel like you need right now? And sometimes those are felt needs. They're not real needs, right? Um, and, I, and I think that's a real gift. I think God desires that for us. That's why I believe he gave us the church. That's why he sent out his disciples to do ministry together. That, like He didn't send out his disciples as lone wolf pastors. Uh, and and I, I grew up in New England seeing like lone wolf pastors was like, that was the standard. It was like all these guys, you know, off running their race by themselves, trying to, you know, honor the Lord, handle hard things, navigating conflict all the time, all by themselves. And that burden just crushed them. Um, and so plurality of, of leaders, really, I, I believe a plurality of friends leading a church makes such a difference. And so uh, I love that we've moved in that direction at Calvary, that there's plurality of voices, that there's there's plurality of leadership, and that we've made a commitment in our leadership to, to be friends, to to love one another through um, through the ministry that God has us doing together. Uh, and that's been a, a real gift. I also think um, friendship, just as we're talking about this, this is popping my mind. One of the things that I encourage people to make sure that they have is intergenerational friendships. Mm, good um, that's something that um, we miss out. I think in our society, it's like we find people that are in the same stage of life as us. We really care about making sure that we can relate, but I think God has probably used um, intergenerational friendships to shape me and mature me more than anything else. So if you are young, find an older person that can be your friend and they can walk next to you because they're just a stage of life ahead of you. Um, that was actually how I became friends with Dan. Uh, when we were in Bible college, he was like the married guy on campus that had a care already. And I wasn't because he's so much older than us. And I was like, all yeah. right, 
Right, right, right, right. He is, you know, he's much, <laughs> much older. Um, but he was in, he was in a stage of life just ahead of me. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm about to get there. What do I need to know? What do I, what do I, what can I expect? What do I need to learn? And I can look back at my life, even in high school, I always had friends that were older than me. Um, and they were really significant voices in shaping who I became, um, and shaping how I thought about life, how I process, how I could, you know, answer questions. And then finding young people as friends too can be really, really life-giving now that I'm kind of like in this middle stage uh, where it's like, I'm not young anymore. I go play basketball with all these young guys and know that I'm really old now because my knees don't recover the same. Mm -hmm. Um, But those guys are life-giving because there's enthusiasm and there's, um, there's just a, an energy that is contagious for me um, and get to be a joy of, you know, walking through and just being an encouragement to them. So it, wherever you're at in life, you need to think through, do I have intergenerational friends? Do I have friends that are older than me? Do I have friends that are younger than me? That's got to be part of spiritual friendship. Mm. Yeah. I just want to say I'm actually closer to Dan's age than I am to your age. You're the young guy. So <laughs> just want to mention that. This like six, seven year window, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You're in the bottom half. You bring the, uh, the, the curve down a little bit for us, but uh, a couple of things you mentioned there. That's right. Um, that's right. First on generations. Um, I'm actually doing some research right now about generations and, and thinking about this a lot. Um, mm. And, you know, it's we one of the main paradigms right now, the sort of predominant sociological paradigm for generations is generational cohorts, right? Boomers, Gen X, millennials. Mm. Um, and I think those things can be instructive. Um, but I think uh, there was one a TED talk and I'm not going to think of who who said it right now. So I'm like, we'll quote it. Maybe I'll we'll get in the notes here. But um, the person was talking about generations and they said, I, I've never met a generation. I've only met people. And how really the thing is like some of those frameworks, I think, can be one, they over stereotype, they're over general. And it's transformational for us to actually like when we go from an idea to a person in any part of life, um, it's so much it changes our view. And so like I I think it's good to inventory. Like, do you have any boomer friends? Do you have any Gen Z friends? Like, it's a good question. But I think it, it rather than leaning on sort of sociological stereotypes, let's lean in on uh, having actual gener- cross-generational friendships. So that is just something that is front of mind for me right now. Uh, and then just one other thing to call out, uh, both in our marriages, but for our marriages, um, it's important that we have people in friendship um, that we that are gonna push us back towards our commitments and our covenants. And especially oh, this, this is true, mm-hmm. um, you know, for like, I know if I call Chris at 2 a.m., which I could do, and I have had some big fight yep. um, and there's some issue, like you're, you're not going to be the friend that I mean, you're going to listen to me. You're going to empathize with what I'm experiencing, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be like, well, that's just how marriage is. You know, Bethany must be a jerk. Yep. It's you're going to push me back towards repentance and back towards my covenant. And uh, even in ministry, whether it's complaining about our ministries or our marriages, we need to be really careful that we are friends and have friends that are going to press us back towards uh, what we've our covenants and our commitments. So that's just something that you brought to mind, which Amen. I'm really grateful that I have. So, yeah, good yeah, man, I, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, that's why we're a good team, Chris. This is a, this is a lot of, a lot of Amen. fun. Uh, <laughs> um, I I think. You also kind of tapped into this a little bit as well, but um, the idea of 
you know, so much of, of our relationships as leaders is tied to there's expectations with it. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. church, you know, they, they brought you on the team. They're expecting you to lead. Like if you said you're going to preach on Sunday, we're expecting you're going to come and you're going to be ready to do that. And, mm-hmm. um, some expectations are unrealistic. Some are very understandable and godly, but, uh, some of our friendships need to be spaces where the expectation is just that we're going to be good friends. Like, that's it. And so I do think I want to encourage you mentioned the lone wolf thing with pastors, but the need to be able to have friends outside of our immediate context. Um, you know, Dan, yourself and I, we all serve in full-time ministry. We've done so for a long time, but we all are in different yep. uh, fellowships. And um, we make sure that our time together is not just complaining about our, our experiences in ministry, but we also have the gift that we can process mm-hmm. things in a very safe way in those spaces as well, which is a really awesome, awesome thing. So um, I think all all of those conversations that we have about our fellowships, one of the things that I've appreciated about them is that each of us have encouraged one another or helped us process on how do we love and lead those, those communities better. And, you know, the same way that, you know, we press one another back into the covenant of marriage we're doing with the covenant of church. You know, this is, this is the mission that God has given us. How do we go and, and, and love these people? How do we, how are we helpful? Um, one of the things that, you know, our, our, I think we've talked about over the years is, you know, we may be justified in how we feel, um, but a spiritually mature person then has to decide, well, what's going to be helpful? Mm. You know, I, that that's true. In, you know, I think about like, you know, parenting. I may be justified to be angry by my child's disobedience or unruliness, but uh, I have to be spiritually mature and say, I, I could scream and yell at them and be angry. Uh, will that help them towards long-term maturity? It's going to get short-term compliance, that's for sure. Uh, but spiritually mature people, you know, they, they have to press into what's helpful. And I love that in our conversations that that's the, um, again, that that covenant pushing that I, I, I like that you've kind of drawn out is something that pastors need within their congregate or within their friendships to help them love their congregations better. Like, Listen, your congregation is going to sin against you. And so having friends that help you process that and then continue to love them and continue to go back to, hey, how do I covenant love this community? Um, that's essential. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we talk about the the 2 a.m. friend or the, you know, the friend in your favorites. I think yeah. it's also that who are you going to call the day you want to quit? Like, <laughs> you oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like, and the person yep. who's going to hear you and you, again, church yeah. is messy. There's inju- there's real injustice. Like you said, you can be, yeah. it's legitimate to say that pastors are sometimes and more often than we would like our con- you know, congregants or people in our flock or in our church will sin against us. Like that is a reality just as, yeah. you know, we are not incarnate and, you know, free of sin ourselves. And so having those people that mm-hmm. we can call that can really um, be that voice to help us process our hurt you know, here's a, here's a newsflash. Yep. Pastors have church hurt, right? <laughs> That's a popular yep. phrase right now. And, um, yep. but we also need to be able to model for our congregation, just like community. I mean, I think it's been interesting coming out of the pandemic. A lot of churches have been grappling with how to refoster community. How do we get our small group ministry going again? How do we get people reconnected? Mm. And I think it's a great juncture for us to be able to evaluate and, um, assess that. And we're seeing that even with Converge Northeast and just, we're just one network. There's a lot of great networks and ways to connect with people, but there's a greater hunger uh, for this than ever before. There's a a memory that popped in my mind Uh, a few years back, you and I were sitting on a ski lift together and, you know, I was just kind of processing 
you know, pastoral ministry in my thirties and navigating some of that, um, you know, that, that pastoral church hurt. Um, and, and I, I'll never forget how you phrased this, you know, you said like, look in my twenties, I kind of came to the realization that like my mentors weren't perfect and that they wounded me. <laughs> and he's like, and then I came into my thirties and realized, Oh no, I'm not perfect. And I wound people. Uh, and so moving into this next season of our 40s saying like, well, how, how can we acknowledge that? And how can we empower people to process that? Um, and so like having friends that in terms of pastoral ministry that help you process your pastoral hurt, but also ha- help you identify, well, how, how are you hurting people as a pastor? Um, and, and to be able to acknowledge that. Uh, and, and I'll never forget that was a, a motivator for me to be able to come into, you know, one of the texts that I preached through and acknowledge like, Hey, I, I've hurt my congregation. And I acknowledge that to them. And it's like, I'm sorry for, you know, how I've led you poorly at times or how in even my youthfulness, I may have been brash or overconfident or um, dismissive. And, you know, that can really be difficult for people. And so, um, pastors aren't perfect. And so to be able to have friends that help us grow as pastors, um, as we're loving our people, I think it's huge. Yeah, I am very convinced. It's why it's one of the pillars of the evergreen way that um, you can, you can build some great things by yourself. And especially early in ministry, when you're in that sort of making your mark and kind of finding your way, uh, you can get pretty far in ministry in that Lone Ranger thing. But if you want to be healthy and you want to see the fruit of the spirit grow in your life for decades of ministry and be able to make it for the long haul. It's not a guarantee that you will make it, but I I don't think you can make it without good friendships. Um, and I feel like that's just yeah. something that I'm very, very committed to and feel like is, is really critical. And, um, you know, start, start where you are. Um, you maybe, you know, I, I like just got to do what I did. If you see other people that have good friendships, get around them, uh, connect with them. It's actually not an awkward conversation. If you just got to say like, this might seem awkward, but I need more friends. Um, most people are not, you know, <laughs> are not going to turn you down. You know, they, everybody has boundaries and limits, but they're going to, you know, welcome you in and, and be willing to at least connect on some level. And um, don't let the wounds of the past uh, hold you back from pursuing those realities um, mm. as well. So I want to talk a little bit, Chris, about um, the Evergreen Way cohort, you have been a part of yeah. our pilot experience, which is this one-year journey that we created um, in Converge Northeast. Uh, it's broader than that. We have you know, leaders from uh, in Converge churches and beyond that. Uh, it's a one-year journey. We have gone on a nine-month uh, experience together. We started and ended, we're about to end with uh, overnight retreats. And then once a month, we've been gathering uh, this group of eight leaders, uh, and we have a shared leadership model. I lead it uh, with uh, Pastor Dave Ripper and with Doug Melder. Together, the three of us are are, are leading it. Um, so I, I want to talk about some of the outcomes of that, but just for you personally, um, how has this experience been been for you? Um, it's been such a gift into this like this next. Uh, season and stage of, of, of life and ministry for me. Um, it's also been monumentally filled with hope. Um, you know, I've interacted with different pastors over the years in, in New England and, um, you know, they're all battling discouragement. And then I, I kind of meet with our bunch 
and you have all of these men that are uh, in their you know mid thirties, some early twenties, and I just feel like man, there's a lot of hope for what God is going to do here in New England. Like if this is a representation of the next iteration of pastors, um, I'm excited because they're not only committed to growing in their character, but they're committed to growing in their craft. And that's been um, not only a joy to be a part of, but also a joy to watch how God is growing each of the other guys and preparing them to lead in their contexts and, um, yeah, it's been it's been fun to be a part of. It's been hard at times too. Uh, I mean, there's there's nothing um, more humbling than to have a bunch of other pastors like uh, pick apart your your sermon or <laughs> like identify your communication uh, quirks or deficiencies and and uh, highlight your areas of opportunity as as I like to call them. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty good at putting the thumb on the uh, have, on like, the exact Doug, issue. Doug, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the first weekend we went, I remembered uh, we were asked to like give a, a short, you know, summary a sermon or something. And I think the poor uh, youngest guy, Anson, in our group <laughs> was put on the spot like, all right, you go first and uh, stood up in front of all of us. And he started and then Doug goes, stop, try again. <laughs> Like from the very beginning, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to expect. So it, it was great though. Uh, it was, it, it's been fun just to see the growth in each of us. So, Yeah. We, we did exercise at this last month of gathering where each, uh, each of you presented five minutes of a, um, using the craft skills that you developed in terms of communication, but yeah. also presenting. And, um, I was, it was holy ground for me. I was just blown away by the Amen. growth and the insight and, um, you know, and I think the predominant theme, if you were to have a through line, all of it was just the the pursuit and understanding that our leadership has to flow from our character and that our character has to be anchored Amen. and rooted in who we are formed in Christ. And like, and if that's what everybody mm. takes away, then, you know, sign me up for another year. This is great. So this is an awesome thing. Um, Amen. And yeah. And I, for me, it's been great learning how to be in, um, I've done a lot of stuff with large groups. I've done a lot of stuff one-on-one. I do mm-hmm. maybe a hundred meetings a year with pastors one-on-one to be in a space that's sort of that eight to 12 uh, size group um, and mm-hmm. to be able to journey together where you're well-known and journeying together. It's just been uh, incredible. And I think that that's um, a space that, um, you know, we have small groups in churches, but I just encourage pastors to think more about where they would lead. And you've, you've taken that challenge to heart um, and you're actually getting ready to, to start something. Talk about, how this kind of inspired you to pilot something in your church and what that looks like. Sure. Um, the experience of the evergreen way, um, was, I think really, um, for me, next level of a discipleship model, because, um, a, you kind of put in a cost and a commitment level that was different than, you know, churches begging people to come be a part of their programming. Um, but to say, we have something to offer. And if you want it, you have to invest in it and you have to commit to it. And and, and that we're also going to put a monetary cost to support that endeavor. And so I was like, well, man, this this group is really committed to the work. What, what would it look like for me to try to you know, produce something similar within 
uh, our context at Calvary. Um, how can I begin to even think about the next gen of leaders? So like, I'm not even our senior pastor. And a question I ask myself frequently is, uh, who's next? Um, you know, we've got a wonderful godly group of elders, um, but a lot of them are getting um, to retirement age or already are at retirement age and are looking at like, you know, sunsetting their level of involvement. And so there's a, there's a leadership gap, I think, that we have within churches across America right now where we're trying to figure out like where are our next generation of pastors. And so I felt like the evergreen model, which is Jesus's model, um, I think as Doug said on one <laughs> yeah, of your last podcasts. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, uh, he, I didn't rip it off from evergreen. We ripped it off from Jesus. So thanks, Doug. Um, so the um, the steps that I took uh, within our context at Calvary was I found a couple other men in our church who are in similar seasons of life as me, um, who were different, just the same way that you, Dave, and Doug are all kind of in unique contexts, and got this leadership team together. I asked them to start praying about it. We spent some um, a few months kind of like talking and, and, and just kind of me sharing the, uh, the evergreen way model. Uh, and then I even like put together a rough brochure that I literally just like almost verbatim copied yours. <laughs> design and everything like font almost legit this the same thing uh you know hey why why, you know reinvent the wheel and so then i sent it to uh just uh, about 20 or 30 men within our congregation that uh were in this early to mid 20s season of life um married guys single guys and so we've got a group of nine that uh have dived in and they're you know, working through essentially the same thing that we're doing in the evergreen way, which is diving into spiritual formation, um, developing kingdom leadership, uh, working on spiritual friendship. And uh, we're, we're kind of given another layer of focusing on uh, vocational excellence because all the guys in evergreen are full-time ministry in ministry full-time. Um, and these men are just, they're, they're lay leaders and they're, they're the next gen of lay leaders. And so we're really just trying to, encourage them. We're working through Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, right now. We started um, a couple months ago, and uh, we're actually leaving this upcoming Friday to go on our first uh, weekend retreat. And so we've got uh, all of the, the three leaders you know, teaching different sessions, the same format we do in Evergreen Way. And honestly, that's been one of the biggest gifts for me. I know you probably love getting to like come to Evergreen and then not have to speak and just listen to one of the other guys, just dispel wisdom and and just love on the other guys there. And for me, that's been the same like opportunity. What Dave Spinelli is one of the other leaders in our group. And um, we meet on my epic patio in my backyard and uh, we're sitting around a fire and he, he was doing um, a session on spiritual direction and holy listening. And he's been doing some of that stuff for his master's degree through Gordon and I was like just blown away. I was like, I forgot that there was these other guys there because he was just like ministering to my soul so much. Uh, and I was like, oh man. So do you want to just like lead the rest of these? <laughs> you know. Um, but it, it's been fun, and and each of the leaders are different and have uh, different personalities. Um, and so it's been fun just to see the the group of young men just dive into spending time together uh they've already started to like connect outside of the group um and 
we named our our group uh, a fellowship of grace i'm a huge tolkien nerd so like i've totally leveraged all of the fellowship of the ring uh in in the structure of this and i reference it all the time um and you know we're kind of committing to being a fellowship that gives one another unmerited favor and Mm -hmm. uh so a couple of the guys get together they watch a bruins game and they're talking about what they're learning um and then just kind of breaking off into these small groups uh and seeing them just listen to one another and uh, the feedback that we're already getting is like, it's been transformative yeah. for them in terms of their spiritual disciplines, their growth and walk with the Lord. Um, and just the pace at which they're trying to invest in their own spiritual growth has been a joy to watch. Yeah. You, you um, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm so grateful. I mean, this has been like an unexpected byproduct, which I think may be one of the more enduring ones, even of what we're doing with the evergreen, uh, way. And, you know, some of the things that, like you said, you, we ripped it off from Jesus. So there's not, <laughs> there's not a lot of yeah. fully original, but there are some principles, um, that I think you, you hit on. One is that we, we created a process and a little bit of, a little bit of a barrier to entry. Like you, you actually asked me for the application yeah. process that we used. So you had them go through that. They had to do some work yep. there. They, you know, you, yeah. you kind of scaled the cost to what yep. would work for you guys, but you had, they had to put some skin in the game. Yep. Um, I also think the shared, this yeah. is something that I think pastors sometimes underutilize is the shared leadership model. Like the, the beautiful mm. Uh, thing that God's doing is like, not only are you forming these younger leaders, but the bonds that you said, like you're learning from some leaders in your church, you're creating space where you're going to learn from them and work together. Um, There are high capacity leaders in every single church that are looking for something like this to be able to leverage their giftedness Mm -hmm. into. And, um, and then also just that gap, like if we want to have more elder leader pastors in the future, not that everybody who does this is going to end up there, but if we want to have that, how do we take somebody from a high functioning volunteer through that journey. And do we just mm-hmm. wait till they're kind of like, sometimes we yep. just like wait till they get ready. Like, <laughs> we don't have a plan. We don't have a process. We don't have incubators for that. We don't have a discipleship model that helps people mm-hmm. kind of take that step from like maturing believer into church leadership. Yep. And um, so I think that mm-hmm. this is one of those things that can help be a piece of that puzzle uh, for churches, which um, I think is, is super exciting. So, and you're not the only, we have other churches that are, are jumping into that. And I'm hoping to be able to synthesize some of the things we've learned into some resources. Um, I told you, I'm going to look over your shoulder and, uh, and kind of learn along <laughs> with, with your pilot as well. So that's a, that's an awesome. I'll probably leverage thing. our friendship to invite you as a guest speaker <laughs> one, one of those nights too. So, <laughs> well, when you say you have an epic patio, you have a truly epic patio and any excuse on a, yes, on, a right. <laughs> on a warmer spring or a warm summer night to go hang out there. It's always, it's always a gift. Yep. So I appreciate that so much. So Chris, this has been a real gift to me and I, I believe it'll be a gift to other people. Um, we should give one more shout out. Thanks Dan for being the, uh, the example yeah. and the one that we did throw some shade to, but we, we cleaned that up. I he, think. He's the nucleus. He actually, I think he was the one that introduced us together, right? Yeah. 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 There's, there's a whole story yeah. Yeah. behind how we met each other and that's <laughs> an, an awesome, uh, awesome story for another day, but uh, I'm glad that we have, I'm thankful. Yeah. I am thankful for your friendship in a most uh, sincere way. And I'm thankful that we get to do ministry in the region that we get to, uh, hopefully for the long haul, just get long, long as the Lord keeps us where we are. So, uh, Chris, thanks again for the time. It's been a gift and, uh, I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Cool. All right. Thanks brother. Love you. 
Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy, at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.